0: Let's open up our Bibles and let's get into the Word this morning. I'd like us to dig in, and we're going to start in the book of Luke with an interesting story. It's something that uh, was not talked about a ton, but uh, it's an interesting Encounter that Jesus has, not an encounter, but conversation he has with his disciples. In Luke 9, Jesus has decided or he's ready to go to Jerusalem. He's ready to go and this is, this is the last, you know, Jerusalem is, is that place of conflict. It's a place where uh, Jesus knows he's going to give his life. When he sets his face to Jerusalem, uh, he's got a long journey ahead of him. In Luke chapter 9, we were to skip into uh, verse 51. What's happened right before this is the disciples have had a, an argument about who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus corrects them. Because their thought is, you know, uh, not just the greatest right now, but who's going to be greatest in your kingdom? Because mat- that matters. They, they, they believe Jesus. That there's, a, there's another kingdom that they don't see. That there's a kingdom coming. And so, you know, they're in on the ground floor, guys. They are the original investors. So would be a good time for them to say, hey, we were in. Give us some good positions in your great kingdom, right? We, we stuck with you when no one was with you. So who's going to be greatest? Who's going to be the chief? Who's going to get to call the shots? And Jesus corrects them and says, you're talking like the Gentiles talk. Gentiles he's not being racist. He's talking about people that are outside of the covenant of God that don't know him. He's saying, listen, you guys are talking like people that don't know God. You're talking about, you're talking like unbelievers who are fighting for position. He said, they get position and they lord it over everybody, but it's not so with you. He said, in my kingdom, the greatest will be the servant of all. Then he, then he comes and he said, and it says in Luke 9, and we're going to Skip all the way down to verse 51. When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. Now, it's interesting that Luke words it that way, isn't it? When the days are approaching for his ascension, he's skipping over what has to happen before the ascension, which is the crucifixion, and uh, showing that Jesus' eyes are set, yes, on the cross and the resurrection, but it's also set for him to ascend and and, and go to be with the fathers. He says, when the days are approaching, he set his eyes towards Jerusalem and the disciples, he sent messengers on ahead of him and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. So remember, Jesus has had success amongst the Samaritans. The disciples didn't want to have anything to do with the Samaritans previously. But they kind of turned a corner on that. And so they go into the village of the Samaritans where Jesus has been previously well-received. And the reason the Samaritans don't receive him is not because they don't like him or they don't believe his teaching, but because he's going to Jerusalem. You see, they're still trying to get Jesus to take sides. That's not what we're talking about today. But, boy, is it relevant for our day and age where everyone's trying to force you to take a side... And you're saying, well, I'm on the Lord's side. And people say, you know, quit copping out. Give us, you know, whose side are you really on? People were trying to get Jesus constantly to take their side against someone else. So they're they're saying, you know, either you're with us, you're with them. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. The Samaritans see that as a betrayal. And so they say, you can't stay here. Can't come into our village. The disciples, knowing how much Jesus has done for these people, they're greatly offended by this. And here's what happens. They say this, they, they did not receive him because he was traveling towards Jerusalem, and when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? I mean, I've had no vacancy at hotels. I've never gone this far. I've never said, man, Holiday Inn, your days are numbered, you know? No vacancy Indeed. What's, what's interesting is all of a sudden, James and John have great faith. Like they're not even saying, Jesus, would you call down fire? They're like, we can do it. You know, I wasn't so sure about casting that evil spirit out of that boy, but I'm sure I can do this. This is something I can get worked up about. John, whom we now know is the apostle of love, is the one that's saying, you know, Little mass murder never hurt anybody. (laughs) They've got it coming. Do you want us to call down fire and consume them? Now, where did they get this from? At at what point did Jesus call down fire on any village? At no point. This is an easy answer. Some of you are going, (sighs) you're like, is this a trick question? It's not a trick question. He never did that. That would be major news if he did that. He did not do that. Mm -hmm. Didn't even threaten to do it. So... They're all of a sudden, I don't know where this is coming from. In fact, we kind of know where it's coming from, but it didn't come from Jesus. This idea, I mean, maybe they're coming back to the Old Testament and saying, well, you know, uh, you know, there, there could be precedent for this. Now, now, remember this, there's already cultural and racial bias against the Samaritans. Mm-hmm. Had this been a village of Jews, they probably wouldn't have suggested this. They're already, they're just barely okay with the Samaritans, and now the Samaritans have given them a reason to get ticked off. So they're already, you know, I I mean, they're already looking for a reason to be mad, and now they're saying, well, let's just wipe them out. That'll solve everybody's problems. I've always wanted to wipe them out. I finally have a good reason. You know, we finally have a good excuse. They wouldn't let us stay there. Now, I understand that in, in... Bible times in the Middle East, hospitality is a bigger deal to them than it, than it is to us today. I understand that, but it's still not a crime worthy of, of all-out, you know, genocide. So here, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Here's Jesus' response. He turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. Now, your Bible may or may not have that little son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Or, and you don't know what spirit you're of. Because some manuscripts have that part and some of them don't. What they all have is that Jesus turned and rebuked them. I personally believe this is an accurate uh, manuscript. I believe that that's probably in the, uh, most likely in the text. But even if it wasn't, Jesus has said that in other places so it's definitely something that fits, right? Mm-hmm. This is, I mean, it's not, a, it's not a doctrinal changing thing. He didn't say anything here that he didn't say somewhere else. Right. What all of our Bibles say is he turned and rebuked them. And I truly believe this part where he said, you don't know what spirit you're of. Mm-hmm. Where Jesus is, is, is not just implying that their anger got the best of them, but he's, he's really implying that there is a spiritual force that's pulling them to this need for revenge. There's an another spirit at work here. He turns and he says, he rebukes them and says, "You don't know what kind of spirit you're of." But let me just say, when we talk about uh, the kingdom of God, when we talk about Jesus, there's there's the Holy Spirit, and, and everything else is not, you know, if, if there's another spirit, it's not him, right? So we know there's good. God speaks to us by the Holy Spirit. He moves us by the Holy Spirit. He leads us and guides us by the Holy Spirit. But if there's another spirit, that's not a good spirit. They're being led by something that's not just not God. It's in opposition to God. And Jesus has to turn and rebuke them. He has to turn and take. You know, He doesn't just ignore it and say, "Oh, silly James and John, you're know, always going off, flying off the handle." No, he takes the time to rebuke it and put an end to it right there. Which I think is a good precedent for all of us. Do you notice it's a lot easier for us to be offended on behalf of someone else? We feel we have more right to. See, when someone does something to us, the more mature among us say, well, I I should forgive. I should let that go. But the moment somebody does something to someone else, then we feel all of a sudden we have a right to be really angry about this. We have a right to be rankled. We have a right to be upset. We have a right to demand justice. But here's the question you've got to ask yourself. What spirit am I of? What spirit am I giving into? What spirit am I listening to? Because it is not the Holy Spirit. That desire for revenge, that desire for vengeance, that desire for destruction is not God speaking through you. The son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. He said in another place, the son of man came to seek and save that which is lost. In another place, he says, he said, I didn't come to judge the world, I came to save the world. So this is perfectly in line with what Jesus has been saying all along. Now here's the deal. As believers, we should think like he thinks, We should feel like he feels. We should be of the same spirit as Jesus Christ. But we have to know, and this is tying into what we talked about last week. What did we talk about last week? Laying down what we have to lay aside. Lay aside the old self, the Bible says, and put on the new self. It says lay aside anger and malice and put on Christ, Put on love. Put on forgiveness. Put on this. So you have to make a choice to lay aside your base instincts, your fleshly nature, and you need to put on something else. I'm reminded of of how Jesus reacted to his torture and execution. Because Jesus was not just executed. He was tortured, wasn't he? He was in great pain. Physical, emotional, spiritual pain. Have you ever noticed that when you're in pain, you have a lot less tolerance for for stuff, you know what I mean? In fact, you're you're more irritable. There's there's something called pain-induced aggression. You ever seen a dog that's perfectly friendly? And out of nowhere it seems aggressive and and, and you know is nipping at people? Well, either something weird's going on with this dog or it's in pain and you just don't know it right? Well, people are the same way. When we're in pain, it's a lot harder for us to be understanding and and loving. Jesus is in intense pain on the cross, intense pain, intense. uh, He's being mocked. He's being, he's not only, not only being physically tortured, he's being ridiculed. And it's at that moment that he says this, father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That's an amazing thought to me on many levels. The first level is this. When I'm in that much pain, that's not my first instinct is to make sure you're okay. Secondly, it'd be one thing for me to forgive you. It's another thing for me to go to bat for you and ask God to forgive you. And we'll talk a bit about that in a minute. Thirdly, at least give me a chance to chill out and calm down. Jesus does it right in the midst of, of the most pain and the most distress that he's in. That's the moment he does this. He doesn't wait till after his resurrection when he's feeling fine. By the way, God, I've been thinking. Those jerks that whipped me, beat me, and crucified me, maybe we give them a pass. He said this on the cross. That's the kind of spirit we should have. You know, I used to watch those movies about Jesus when I was a kid. And I remember feeling such a great sense of injustice that this was happening to Jesus. You ever watch a movie and you think this time it'll be different? Right? Like you're still rooting for it to be different? I would watch it. And even though I knew, thank God Jesus went to the cross for me, I was still rooting against the bad guys. And I remember feeling such a sense at times of just like injustice and anger. How could they do that to Jesus? And that's not misplaced. It was greatly unjust. It was a terrible thing. It should rile something up. But I've learned that what, that should not be the thing I take away from the cross. In fact, it's the opposite. Instead of me taking away from the cross how bad the bad guys were, I need to be taking away from the cross how good Jesus is and how great his love for me. Because the truth is, so many times I'd watch that movie and I'd identify with Jesus when really at that moment, I I am identifying, I am crucified with Christ, but I also am the guy that's nailing him to the cross. Because Jesus didn't die just for the people's sins who were alive at the time. He died for mine. See, if I was the only one that sinned, he would have had to do that. And so when I look at that, I go, boy, I did that to him too. Thank God he said, Father, forgive them. And I've often wondered, what did it matter whether they knew what they were doing or not? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing, really? seems like they know what they're doing. Seems like they're aware. In fact, they knew he was innocent. And when Pilate said, guys, this guy's innocent. The blood's not on my hand. i wash my hands of this. They said, fine, let his blood be on our heads and our kids. And yet they didn't grasp the depth of what they were doing. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. And I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. Not only you forgiving them, but interceding for those that have hurt you. Simple question. Do you believe that Jesus has his prayers answered? Yes? So do you believe something changed because Jesus said that on the cross? If he has his prayers answered and he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing, do you think that God said, oh, you're just delirious? Oh, that's sweet. I know you have to say that, but no way. I will punish them severely. I link what Jesus said on the cross at that moment, I link it all the way to the day of Pentecost when Peter stood in front of those same people in the city where Jesus was sentenced to death, and they said, Let his blood be on our heads and the heads of our children. And Peter said to them, This promise is for you and for your children too. Where they said, Let his blood, let his, let that justice be on our heads, Peter said, I'm offering you forgiveness. God's offering you forgiveness. Where they said, let it be on the heads of our kids, Peter said, the promise is for you and for your kids. Mm -hmm. Not long after, maybe a few months later, maybe a year, we don't know, but the church in Jerusalem has grown. It's expanded to the point that they've had to appoint seven guys to make sure that not just the Hebrew Jews are being fed, the widows are being fed, the poor are being fed, but to make sure the Greek Jews are fed as well, the the new believers that speak Greek, the Hellenistic Jews. So they appoint seven men to make sure this is done. One of those begins to preach the gospel, not just in the square, but in the synagogue. And he does it with such power and such force And such, you know, such an excellent spirit that he persuades many, but then many people are mad at him. This man's name is Stephen, and they drag him before the Sanhedrin, they drag him before the the chief priests, and they say, this guy is blaspheming Moses and the prophets, he's blaspheming the temple, and he's got to die. They brought false witnesses to testify against him, to lie in court. Stephen is railroaded. He's unjustly accused. He's unjustly sentenced to die. They drag him out of the city. They throw him to a low point. They pick up rocks and begin to throw it at him, not with the intention of hurting him, but with the intention of killing him, not quickly, but slowly. Stephen feels the rocks hit him. He feels the rocks break bones, he feels them fractured his skull, and he knows that he's about to die. He looks to heaven, says, Father, receive my spirit, and just before he goes, he says this, Lord, do not hold this against them. Why, Stephen? Why does it matter to you whether God holds this against them or not? I mean, sometimes you read, the Old Testament prophets, and you get the sense that people are comforted that maybe justice isn't being done now, but someday the bad guys are going to get it. Do you ever read some of the prophets like that? Like, don't worry. These guys are doing okay now, but someday I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth. And people are like, yes, thank God. There's a verse in the Psalms. You have to understand, the Psalms were written... By men and women just, you know, I don't know if any women wrote the Psalms, but they sure sang them good. They wrote other stuff. But mostly David wrote most of the Psalms, then Asaph, and then the sons of Korah wrote some of them. And when they wrote these songs, they wrote them in a place of very human emotion. And the best way to understand the Psalms is this, is that they're prophetic, they're Holy Spirit inspired, but they're also very human at times. And there are times where you look and you see a human being expressing themselves to God and it's not necessarily what God's saying, it's what they're saying. And by the end, God begins to speak to them. For instance, when David says, why is there no justice? That's not God saying that. That's David saying that. Because later he says, then I entered into your sanctuary and I realized those wicked people are going to have a short time of it. And that you're going to make all things right. So the first part of the psalm was a human being expressing their frustration. By the end of it, it was God showing them, it's not everything is as you see it. And one of those psalms, the people of God, God's chosen people say, blessed is the one that bashes their baby's heads against the rocks. We don't sing that song in church doesn't go over well with and shouldn't go over well because that was not God's sentiment. That was theirs. Where did it come from? A sense of betrayal, a sense of hurt, a sense of fear. Now, if you read the rest of that psalm, things change. Their heart changes. But at the beginning, that's how angry they are. Great thing about the psalms is that they feel open enough to just be real with God and say, this is how I feel. But they also are submitting to God and say, no matter how I feel, tell me how to feel. This is, this is the God who puts his son in a place where his son in the midst of the most pain any human being has endured, both emotionally, physically, and spiritually, all of those, in that place, Jesus Not only forgives them, but intercedes, steps in between them and God and says, God, don't hold this against them. And you could say, well, yeah, he's Jesus. He's Superman. Of course, Jesus says things like that. But nobody expects me to say things like that. I'm not Jesus. But then you have to explain away this guy, Stephen, being brutally murdered outside the city. And he says, don't hold this against their account. Don't hold this against them, Lord. Do you believe Stephen got his prayer answered? In some way? We're less sure about that. Or maybe you're just quieter. Maybe it's sinking in. You know, it's no secret that one of the guys that was part of the mob that killed Stephen was Saul of Tarsus, who later became the greatest apostle in the church age. And I believe on some level what Stephen prayed for him had an effect. You know, all throughout Saul's life and we knew him better as Paul. All throughout Paul's life, he re- he refers back to this. He says, "Listen, guys, I'm the least of all of them because I persecuted the church." To me, great mercy was shown, so I've got to show great mercy because great mercy was shown me. For the rest of his life, he's aware that God forgave him a whole bunch. He's aware of it. Stephen could have had a different spirit altogether, couldn't he? He could have said, God, avenge me. For every stone that hits my head, throw two right back at them. And nobody would blame Stephen for feeling that way. And yet, that's not the Spirit of God. When they saw Stephen, they said his face was shining. Stephen was in the very presence of God. He looked up and he said, I see the Lord seated on the throne. I see heaven opened up. Stephen was at a place where he no longer was just Stephen. Stephen was at a place where he was immersed in the presence of God. And out of that, out of that place came this thought came this these words father lord don't hold this against them see that's the place where we need to be living from that's the spirit we need to be of that's the, that's the place we need to be breathing from and operating from, is that place where we are more aware of the presence of God than we are aware of the hatred of men and women, that we are more aware of what he's done for us than what they're doing to us. And we say, Lord, it's one thing for you to forgive them, but I'm telling you, and we're going to see it in the Gospels in a minute, it is the next level of your healing for you to move past just letting it go and you to move into the place where you intercede for those that have persecuted you. You bless those that have cursed you. You say, God, I don't want to do that. No, of course you don't want to do that. That's why you have to do it. That's the very point, is that God's process in healing you is about you praying for healing for them. Right. We get damaged when people try to damage us. And guys, I'm not just talking about Christians, the humanity. The old saying goes, hurt people, hurt people, right? You were abused as a kid. When you're abused as a kid, you're way more likely to abuse your kids. It's not inevitable, thank God. But somebody who's gone through that abuse, they have to break something. I mean, it's tough. Because the instinct is there doesn't mean you're doomed to do it. Don't ever believe for a second that you have to. No, you don't. We can be free from that. But the process of being healed from what you've gone through, the being healed from the hurt, because you got to be healed from the hurt. If, you're not, if you don't allow your heart to be healed and made whole, if you don't allow it to be shaped in the likeness in that new self, if you don't lay aside the old self and pick up the new self, Then there's just certain scars that'll always be there. There's certain low points in your life where you may not notice them until it rains. But when it rains, the water always runs to the same spot. We've had some pretty impressive rain in the last few days, hey? Hasn't it been fun? Maybe not for you. Maybe some of you had flooding and then I apologize. I came over to the church in the middle of a, the rainstorm, mom had called me and said, you know, maybe you should check on the church. And I said, maybe I don't want to go out in this storm. Maybe I, maybe I like sitting inside. But then I thought for five minutes, I thought, oh, she's right. So I went over to the church to check and make sure all the drains were unplugged. Sure enough, the drain was clogged with grass. It was a good thing I came over, unclogged the drain and made sure no water got in the basement. But sure enough, if you've lived in a house long enough or if you've taken care of a building long enough, you know all the spots, don't you? You know the spots to check. Because those spots aren't trouble spots most of the time. But when there's a storm, you know the spots to check. It's the same way with your own soul. You know the spots. You may not notice these things until you get stressed, until you get pulled, until you get offended, until you get hurt. Then you know those same spots that start to hurt again. Those same fears, you start to, anxieties you start to entertain again. The same doubts that you had about yourself or about God or about other people. Here's the good news. Jesus wants to heal those places, right? Now, you could just, you know, take a bucket of water and bail it out and say, I'll wait till the next storm, or you could say, Lord, truly do a work in me of renewal. Truly, let your resurrection work in me so that dead things are c- come to life again. You could say this, Lord, you said, that every high place would be leveled and every low place would be lifted up. I've got low places in my life that are low because of offense, because of hurt, because of past disappointments or past pain. But Lord, you're going to fill those places up that there'd be a straight path in my life for the presence of God. I'm just... I'm just in love with the idea that the new self is indeed the new self. The Bible said, and we read this last week, the new self has been created in the likeness of God, in holiness and in truth. If you can embrace that, embrace that it is new. It's not not just a layer put on top of you. It is new. And if you can embrace that newness and let go of all that other stuff, then I believe God can restore innocence to you. You know, it's not a a far out thing that Jesus says, be innocent as doves. Be wise as serpents, but be innocent as doves. The word innocent shows up later in the New Testament when he says, be excellent in what is good. Be innocent of evil. You know, he's speaking this to people that have known evil, that have handled evil, that have participated in evil. But he says, but you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been renewed. Now be innocent of it. Innocence was lost in the garden, but innocence was restored on the cross. And if God is able to make your spirit innocent, guys, he can make your soul innocent. He can make your mind, your will, and emotions innocent again, where you act like somebody who's not gullible, but somebody who is free from the backpack of pain that you carried around for so long. Jesus said, and I want you to turn to the book of Matthew. Actually, you know what? Let's read it in Luke. I'm sorry, you were just in Luke. I had you turn to Matthew, but you know what? Your fingers needed exercise. It's not like I had you turn to Habakkuk or something. I mean, come on. Luke, Luke six, verse twenty-seven. But I say to you who hear, and that's key, isn't it? He's talking, you know, he knows there's a crowd, but he says there's a crowd of people and then there's a a group of people that are actually hearing what I'm saying. They're listening. they're, They're ready to change. He says, I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. You know that is a step beyond letting things go isn't it letting things go is I will not kill you but I don't want to see you right like you know we'll part ways we'll never talk again this is fine but he doesn't say that he says do good to those who hate you hate you now I don't care what people in this room have done to other people in this room because you know what you put a bunch of humans in a cage long enough we do stuff maybe this isn't a cage maybe that's a bad word in a room you know they say you don't get to pick your family you kind of got to pick the church family but you didn't did you you didn't know what you're getting into you went because there was a maybe you went because there was a friend you actually liked oh I like these people they're nice they seem normal And then God threw you into a bunch of people that weren't normal, (laughs) right? Because there's no church where there's all normal people, right? Right? There's no church where there's any perfect people. We're people. And look around you. We got people from all different backgrounds. So where would you be hanging out in the world if not for this? I don't know. Maybe you have an answer for that, but I don't. God put us together. But in that... The more you love people, the more you give them an opportunity to hurt you, don't you? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not disappointed. I'm not disappointed that uh, Michael Phelps didn't text me on my birthday. We're not close. In fact, he doesn't know I exist. So he doesn't disappoint me when he doesn't text me. There's people I've met once or twice. I don't, I don't care. I don't, even, I don't care that they never text me again or never call me. That's fine. I don't know them that well. But if my wife forgot my birthday, I might be a little hurt, right? I'd be more worried that she was planning a surprise party, which is worse than forgetting my birthday. (laughs) Remember that. Remember that. And should anybody come to you with a bright idea, you repeat these words to them. Surprise doesn't make anything better for me. I like anticipation. I like knowing about stuff. I'm not a fan of surprises. Tell me what I'm getting for Christmas now. That's fine with me. Won't ruin it. It'll make it better. (laughs) My family doesn't buy that. They still haven't done it. That's off the point. If my wife forgot, I'd be a little hurt. Why? Because the closer people get to you, the higher your expectations, the easier it is for them to disappoint you and hurt you and all those other things. We should love each other, right? We should allow people into our hearts and into our lives, but the closer they get, the easier it is for them to hurt us, easier it is for for them to wound us. Love covers a multitude of sins. As our young sister said so brilliantly this morning, that's missing a mark. It's missing a target. It's missing an expectation. You guys know you set targets for people all the time. You may not know you set targets for them, but those targets are your expectations for them. And the higher your expectations, the easier it is for them to miss them. And like I was saying to somebody in a conversation this week, what's the, what's the other, other end of it? Do you just say, I have no expectations of you? That's not very nice at all, is it? What if I went to you today and said, you know what, you can't possibly hurt me because I expect nothing from you. I have set the bar so low for you, there's no way you can mess up in my eyes. You wouldn't say, oh, thank God, I feel so encouraged. (laughs) I can't possibly hurt Pastor Jonathan. You'd go home and think, wow, he thinks I'm a loser. That's great. (laughs) So we should expect much, but the more we expect, the easier it is for them to miss it. The Bible says love each other fervently from the heart because love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of missed targets and missed expectations but let's move past that for a minute, past the covering, past the overlooking, and into another level. What spirit are you of? Nature abhors a vacuum. So you say, well, I'm not of that spirit that wants to call down fire, but am I of the spirit that says, I want to intercede for those people. I want to bless them. I want to do good to them. You might say, I'm not that far. I said I didn't want to call down fire. Let's not go to any extremes. Can't we just be okay that I don't want them dead? Isn't that okay? Can't we just settle that and say, you're good. You don't want them dead? Fine. You check out. He says, I say to you here, love your enemies. He doesn't say tolerate your enemies. He doesn't say don't hate your enemies. He says love them. And if you've read the Bible for any period of time, you know love is an intense thing. Love is a serious thing. Love is not merely a feeling. Love always produces action. Then he follows that up by saying, do good to those who hate you. I say to you, whoever hits you, sorry, in verse 28, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Stop there for a minute. Bless those who curse you. Now, guys, For most of the world, that word blessing means nothing. We say bless you when someone sneezes. We don't phone them a day later and say, you know, remember I blessed you in the restaurant when you sneezed? Yeah. So what happened after that? Nothing. Well, I blessed you. I expect that something should happen when I bless you. No, people don't do that. They don't expect it. It's just something we say. It's a cultural norm. But we here believe in the blessing of God. We believe that our our mouth has the power to bless or to curse. We believe that when we bless someone, things should be different. Because God gave us the ability to bless. He empowered us to bless. And so here's the deal. Bless those who curse you. That's with your mouth, but that's also with your actions. He doesn't say let it go. We're going beyond that. We're not just letting it go when someone curses us. We are actively blessing them. And let me tell you, the Bible says, he who waters will himself be watered. As you bless, you are blessed. And when you bless those who curse you, there is something that changes. This is God's process to heal you. This is God's process to renew you. And this is the spirit of Jesus Christ. What spirit are you of? Are you of the spirit that the disciples were were of when they wanted to call down fire? Or are you of the spirit of the same Savior uh, that, that on the cross interceded for those sinners? He didn't say, Father, help me forgive them. He said, Father, I want you to forgive them. Stephen, don't hold this against their account. Paul in 2 Timothy, said, there's a bunch of people that didn't show up for my trial. May it not be held to their account. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other one also. Whoever takes away your coat, don't withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you. Whoever takes it away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And you might say, God, that doesn't sound like lending. (laughs) I think you need a dictionary. That's not lending. That's giving. Sure, all right, cool. Now, hear this. As a believer, if someone lends you something, pay it back. That's right. That's right. Always pay it back. Always, always, always pay it back. But if you're the lender, lend it saying, you know what? I'm not going I'm not, I'm not to make this pay. If I'm lending it to them, I'm lending it to them. And if I don't get it back, that's between me and God. Then he says this. Your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. And that's the point we need to get here. Be sons. And women, be daughters. Be children of the Most High. Now, to understand this, you have to understand that throughout the Scripture, we are by by nature, the children of God, right? We've been made new. We are the children of God now. But in Bible times, often somebody was said to be a son of someone, not simply because they were born from that family, but because they took on the same nature, right? So James and John, the ones that wanted to call down fire, what were they called? The sons of thunder, so often you'd say, this is the son of somebody, not because you say that's their kid, but because you say they're just like that person. So what is he saying? Be children, be sons of God, be, be, like, be like his kids. In other words, take on his nature here. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. This is the spirit he wants you to be of. This is the new self. You have the ability to do this. And let me just be straight with you. You did not have this ability before you were born again. Mm -hmm. Unbelievers can be nice, good, loving, but to truly let that go, only God can do that in us. Only that, that rejuvenation, that resurrection can do that in us. You will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to who? Ungrateful and evil men. How many ungrateful, evil people do you know? When you read that verse, do you think of the people that have been ungrateful and evil to you? Yeah. You know, I also realize that I've been ungrateful and evil to him. I see myself in there too, and I realize he was kind to me. Isn't that wonderful? God could have reacted with vengeance and reacted with kindness. He had every right to punish me, but he took my punishment. Be merciful as your father is merciful. He doesn't say be merciful to the best of your ability. Be merciful as your father is merciful. Here's what I want you to hear this morning if you hear nothing else. There is a spirit that is of God that empowers you and enables you to be like him. And when God asks you to be like him, he says, be holy as I am holy. Holy means different, separate, removed. God has made his nature available to you. The Bible says, Peter wrote this, we have now become partakers of the divine nature. Beyond our human ability. Beyond our human capacity, we have a spirit that we can draw from, a well that we can drink from that never runs dry. And when you feel like it is not in your capacity, it is not in my ability to forgive, it is not in my ability, or maybe you say, the best I can do is to let this go, there is a step further. And that is to take on the nature of your father. To take on the nature of Jesus Christ. Think about it, guys. The Bible says on the cross, he became sin who knew no sin. He had all the sin of the world on him, and yet he was not sinful. Isn't that amazing? You notice when Jesus took on the sin of the world, he didn't become a sinner. He could have sinned, couldn't he have? He could have said, you know what? Forget you all. My father said I could call down angels and kill you, and I will kill a few of you. (laughs) You know, he said that. He said, if I wanted to, I could call down angels, and and, and they could wipe you guys out and, 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 you know, deliver me. Jesus, Jesus is not just blowing hot air. He's not saying, if I had my way, I'd do it, but Daddy said no. No, he said I could do it. And my father, he said, I could ask and my father would do it. But he didn't. That nature is available to you guys. It's available to me. The next step to your healing is not letting it go. The next step to your healing, and I know this stretches us, and it it seems impossible. That's when you know you are partaking of the divine. When things seem impossible, that's when you know you are relying on that nature of God that he he has made available through the new self, through, through being born again into him. It seems impossible. The best I can do is let this go. He says, no, the best you can do is be like me and bless those who curse you. So the next thing you've got to do is not just say, Lord, help me forgive. You've got to say, Lord, help me forgive. Now, in the name of Jesus, I pray the blessing of God on them. God, I would pray that, but my concern is that you take me seriously. <laughs> I would pray that. I just don't want my prayers answered. Maybe you'd be like Jonah who says, guys, if you don't repent, God's going to destroy you. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. In the back of his head, he's going, but you're not going to (laughs) repent. And he sets up a camp at the top of the mountain. Prime seat to see God destroy the capital of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire that has taken his relatives away with fish hooks that skinned people alive, that were so sadistic that no modern empire compares to them. Jonah had reason to hate them. He didn't just want to know that God would destroy him; He wanted to see God destroy them. And when God didn't destroy them, and God had mercy on them, Jonah was so mad at God, he said, just kill me. He was suicidal because God didn't kill his enemies. Jonah was partaking of something that was not the nature of God. I love that. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. You know, there's a lot of people who have views of God that don't match that, right? There are people right now praying that great judgment and natural disasters would come upon our nation and they claim to be people of God. They don't understand the depths of the mercy of God. Do we deserve it? Absolutely. But God is more merciful than we are. I want to challenge you today that it is time to step beyond letting things go. And it is time to intercede. Four times God offered Moses a deal. You know, every time the people were mad, every time the Israelites rebelled against God, they they rebelled against Moses too. Many times they threatened to kill Moses right in front of them with their own hands. They threatened to kill him. And God said to Moses four different times, Moses, I've had enough. I'll wipe them out. I'll start start fresh with you. And Moses said, Lord, please don't do that. And God says, okay, I won't. The Bible says God changed his mind. Now here's a question. Do you think God would have gone through with it? Here's what I believe. I believe this. I believe God is beyond time. I believe God knew that Moses would intercede and God wanted Moses to intercede for the people. It was important that Moses stand in the gap for the people that wanted to kill him. I believe that God knew he would never wipe them out but I believe God wanted to give Moses the chance to intercede for his own people. And it says his intercession changed something. Have you been interceding for those that have hurt you? Have you been praying for them? Have you been blessing them? Have you been actively loving them? Because that's what Jesus said is available to us. But all of these things are impossible to us. But all things are possible through God. Some of you have taken enough emotional pain pills that you've made the pain of betrayal and hurt and offense go away for a while. But I believe in a God that heals. I believe in a God that restores innocence. And let me tell you, the path to that kind of restoration is to be of the same spirit as Jesus Christ. Let that spirit work in you. Let that spirit work in you. Let that spirit be a part of you where you intercede for the rebels. You intercede for those that have hurt you. You bless those that have cursed you. You pray for those that persecute you. And you don't just pray that they meet their maker early. You pray that God would heal them and restore them and bring repentance to them. Is it possible? Absolutely. Through God, all things are possible. Some of you have been carrying around hurt that you've had for too many years. And I believe this is the next step in your healing. Every situation, you ask yourself this, what spirit am I reacting from right now? This reaction, this feeling that I'm getting right now, what spirit is that? Is that the old self or is that the new self? Would Jesus turn around and rebuke me right now? Because time, many times the answer is Yes. You say, but I'm not doing it for myself. You know, I forgive people if they do it to me. This is the classic tough guy line. You do it to me, but you don't talk about my mama that way. You say what you want about me. Leave my family out of this, right? Oh, yeah, noble. (laughs) Big man. You say what you want about me. You just leave my family out of this. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Jesus didn't make that a little provision. The disciples were offended on Jesus' behalf, and he rebuked them still. I always knew, like, you may not believe this, but I could be mouthy at times as a kid. <laughs> you, you don't believe that. I know you don't. But you have to, just have to trust me. I wasn't perfect. Uh, anyways, uh, so if I talk back to my dad, that was a bad idea, right? And I get in trouble for it. But if I got a little too lippy with my mom, like, I... Dad had a level of like, yeah, don't talk to me that way. I'm your father. But then he'd say, if, if I ever heard him say, don't talk to your mother that way, I knew I was treading on thin ice. And a couple times I heard him say, don't you talk to my wife that way. And at that point, I knew I needed to leave the room and I needed to make somebody brownies or something. Like I needed to, the minute he said, don't you talk to my wife that way, I was like, shut everything down. Uh, emergency alarms are going off. Like this is, and my dad was a kind man. He wasn't like mean or anything, but I knew I was going to get in big trouble when he said, don't you talk to my wife that way. And it is, we have a capacity in us where we're like, I've learned to let things go, but don't you talk about my family that way. Yeah, I get that. You should stand up for your family. But there's a way to do it and there's a wrong way to do it. What spirit am I reacting from? What spirit am I drawing from? Because you know what? In those moments, reacting to the flesh almost feels like the anointing. I hate to say it, but you feel like, wow, I could get in this groove. I could get in this flow. It is not a godly thing. What do you think about those crowds that were listening to Hitler? I, I mean, I know once we bring up Hitler, we've lost the argument. I get that. But, you know, what about those crowds that listened to him and felt vindicated? Yeah, it is their fault. Yeah, we were wronged in World War I. Yeah, that was wrong. Yeah, it's the Jews' fault. Like, you know, there is an emotion that you can feed off that feels almost spiritual. But it is the wrong spirit. And never, never, never follow someone that's taking advantage of your fear and your hate. Instead, we react out of the love of God. We react out of the love of God. You can put your problems on Facebook and you will have people that will fuel your fire. But you react, what spirit am I of? What spirit am I of? What spirit am I drawing from? I want to draw from the Holy Spirit. I want to react like Jesus. And so if you can't, if you're having trouble letting it go, then I'm going to tell you something radical. Don't let it go. Instead, deal with it. Deal with it at the altar. Deal with it. Not by saying, Lord, help me to just forget about it. Instead, do the opposite of what you feel and begin to intercede for that person. Begin to bless them. Begin to love them. Begin to look for ways to be good to them. That's where healing lies, in the presence of God. And I want to remind you that it was in that place where Stephen looked up and saw God. And his face was glowing because he was in the presence of God. When you're in that place, your response is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Amen? Mm-hmm. That is a beautiful place to live. Guys, I want, you, I want us all to be free. I want us to be free to love and free to serve Jesus on a different level. I want you to be free from those same things that keep beating you up every time it rains. I want you to be so free that you can minister the freedom to others. And you know what? someday you might find out that your prayer, like Stephen's prayer, had an effect on someone like Paul. And what a joy would that be, hey? Instead of cursing them, I bless them and look where they are today. They're a blessing to me and a blessing to someone else. Let's stand up and we're going to pray.